This is New York. This is New York. This is New York. You're listening to This is New York, a podcast about New York City neighborhoods from DNA Info. I'm Gwen Hogan. Each episode, I talk with a different neighborhood reporter and then bring you a story from that beat. I'm sitting here today with Serena Dye. She's been covering Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Bushwick for the past year. And before that, she worked for us in Chicago. Um, Today is a special day for Serena because it's actually her last day uh, covering the neighborhoods. And it's also a special day for me because I'm going to be taking over for her. Uh, in Greenpoint, Williamsburg, and Bushwick. So this is going to be really helpful for me as well. Uh, Thank you for sitting down with me, Serena, on the last day of the job. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much. Great. Um, So I guess I just wanted, you've been covering the neighborhood for the past year. These are obviously neighborhoods that are changing very quickly, and there's often tension surrounding some of these changes. And I think you've done a good job capturing those tensions. And that was actually a story you wrote recently that uh, comes to mind, sort of captured that tension between um, the hipsters, the gentrifying uh, people, and sort of the um, the older neighbors. Do, do you remember that story about the Brooklyn flea? Could yeah, you could mural. you tell me about it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This crochet mural. So this really popular crochet artist named London Kay does really beautiful work. Uh, so she approached the Bushwick flea, which is this new flea market here in Bushwick, and saw that they had some art on the walls. And she said, hey, can I put up one of my own? Uh, the problem was that the flea owner didn't ask pr- uh, permission from the property owner whether or not he could have some art up there. So she put the art up, and then the person who owned the property uh, was kind of like, what's going on? It ended up being this woman who'd been there for years, and her son is actually a tenant activist, so was very familiar with um, the sort of issues of gentrification, and he kind of saw it as a symbol of all these everything that was happening in the neighborhood and a symbol of people taking it over and not paying any mind to the people who already live there um so he asked the flea owner to take it down and then the flea owner said no and they got in this huge argument and so the guy so the tenant the the guy whose um, aunt lived in the building ended up writing a huge post about it It went totally viral and i think it really captured a lot of the anger that people in the neighborhood felt um, about gentrification and how they felt like they're being pushed out because a lot of people have been pushed out by people who maybe would be buying uh vintage clothing and uh, you know iced coffee at a flea market yeah, that, that story was really, it sort of really summed up a lot of, I feel like, the tension that we all feel like living here and, and seeing that. Yeah, definitely. And the poor artist, you know, she thought she had permission and she has only lived here for a little bit, but really feels like she's working hard. Um, so it, it just needed to maybe learn more about the issues, too. So it's probably good for that to happen, even though people ended up being super mean to her yeah it's sort of a flashpoint over something that seems so benign like a crochet mural yeah. and it was Wes Anderson themed too so particularly quirky I guess <laughs> um can you sort of uh, along the same lines is there any other story that comes to mind that um captures sort of the sentiment of the neighborhood um or maybe like some of this uh like quirky strange uh Williamsburg Greenpoint Bushwick character 
Yeah, for sure. They're full of these neighborhoods are full of quirky stories. It's a lot of people just trying to be creative and trying to stand out um, and do something different. The funniest, silliest thing was these uh, these girls who decided to throw a party uh, where it's called bringing the bonnet back. It was called BYOB. Yeah, so bring your own bonnet. So they had this little thing and they hashtagged it like bonnet core, these DJs and artists, very typical. Um, and so they went, they had this huge party where you wore a bonnet and Paper Magazine picked up on it and said, hey, actually, uh, bonnets are kind of a trend in high fashion now and they <laughs> looked at these magazine spreads and stuff that had been using bonnets uh, I think like Johnny Depp's daughter who's a model had some sort of bonnet uh, thing so it became this huge viral thing where it's like oh the biggest new trend in Bushwick is is bonnets and I think the first girls kind of did it as a joke but it, it kind of became this thing like oh here's the latest crazy vintage trend in the, the neighborhood have you seen people wearing bonnets instead? I don't think I have. I don't know if that was a... I have not seen people wear bonnets IRL, but uh, there have been have been people posting pictures. It was funny when they had the Instagram uh, feed up, people were posting pictures of, um, of people they saw wearing bonnets. And there's this picture of an old lady riding a bicycle, like clearly just old school, didn't care who else was around, but she had a bonnet on and it was very sweet. Was she a nun? No, she was not a nun. <laughs> she was like biking her groceries home. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so just one last question uh, before I let you go and finish your last uh, stories for DNA ever. It's very sad. Um, I wanted to see sort of what you think are the biggest um, stories or issues or conflicts that people in the neighborhood should sort of be keeping tabs on and be watching in the next uh, coming weeks and months uh, and something you as a resident will be will be looking at for future coverage of yeah, definitely. I mean, I think of the biggest issue in these neighborhoods is affordable housing. People are really worried about whether or not they're going to be able to stay in this neighborhood and making sure that this huge development boom going on in all these neighborhoods is going to keep in mind um, the the incomes of people who are already living here. One place in particular in Bushwick, uh, I know I've been talking a lot about Bushwick, but in Bushwick, the Rheingold development, this huge uh, development that's going on over there towards the um, kind of western side of the neighborhood. So the, the whole thing passed through in the city several, you know, a couple years ago. Uh, but the problem is the developer, Reed Property Group, has sold off parts of the property to new developers. And this new developer uh, isn't necessarily... Um, you know, being forthright about how much affordable housing he's willing to put into the development. Because the writing, the read agreed to do 30% affordable housing, but uh, the it wasn't written in stone. So the new developer doesn't necessarily have to abide by that. The new developer has said he's going to do it, but people in the community are saying he hasn't really confirmed it with us. He hasn't really been having a conversation with us. So they're worried that maybe he will have affordable, but it's going to be something like 150% AMI, So which is out of range for most of the people in, in living in the neighborhood. Um, so that's a huge thing. Affordable housing all across Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Bushwick. Um, people are hoping new developments on the waterfront and Greenpoint and Williamsburg will also have enough affordable housing. Um, along with that, over on the waterfront, the 2005 rezoning really let people build up. Uh, but the problem, part of the problem is that there's not a lot of, um, despite the number of units coming in, there's still only the L train. There's still only the G train. So people are worried about transit. How are people going to get around? How are people going to get from Williamsburg to their jobs over in Manhattan and whatnot? And, you know, the L train is already extremely crowded. I know if, if you've been th there in the morning in rush hour, you can barely get a seat. 
um, or barely get standing room even at this point. So people are thinking, what are reasonable solutions for all the new people coming to the neighborhood to to get around? So that's another huge issue transit. And then uh, green space. Uh, Windsor Green Bay Bushwick has some of the least green space in the city. Um, you know, we don't have Prospect Park. We don't have Central Park. And McCarran is relatively small. Um, and in Bushwick, there's barely anything. So in Williamsburg Greenpoint um, in particular, they were the neighbors have been huge on this park. They were promised part of the 2005 rezoning along the waterfront. Um, they still have not gotten a promise. Problem is the city doesn't really have the money at this point to afford buying some of that waterfront property to turn into a park because it's gotten so expensive. Um, but still, right now, they're fighting. They were promised this. They really want this green space um, and trying to find a solution to get some of this green space that they were promised. That's about all uh, I wanted to ask you, Serena. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. For the second half of this episode, we're going to your bathroom, and then we're going to Greenpoint. What's the last thing on your mind when you flush the toilet every day? Maybe what happens next? Well, in Greenpoint, there are about 100 people to think about that next step an awful lot. The Newtown Creek Wastewater Treatment Facility is the biggest sewage treatment plant in the city. I spent a morning learning about what happens after we flush, and I got to hang out with the plant's manager, Zanul Ali. Thank you. Hi, how's Hi. it going? Good, how are you? Good, my name's Gwen. Ali. Good to meet you, Ali. Nobody gets uh, in their career and say, you know what, I want to end up working in a wastewater treatment plant. This is what I want to do. Wastewater, wastewater is a lot of fun, you know. I honestly do like getting up and every morning I honestly like getting, you know, looking forward to coming to work. I like what I do, you know. How long have you worked here? How long have you been in charge? In this plant for about a year and a half. But I've been employed with DP for like 20 years in the field of wastewater. So it doesn't, I don't know if it makes me an expert, you know. And this being the largest wastewater facility in New York City, one of 14. The water comes from uh, Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. We do one third of Manhattan, one fifth of Brooklyn, and one seventh of Queens. So you guys, you guys want to go to the control room first? Sure. Sure. sure yeah. Yeah. This here is our main control room. This board in front of you is the dist electrical distribution board. It has 427 kV comes in for power. We have transformer that breaks it down to 4160, and then it distributed to at least uh, about 36 main control rooms throughout the plant. We have enough power here to, to supply a small village. Once we see where the plant gets its power, we head to the screening room where all the sewage first enters the plant. This here is our main screening area. The wastewater is allowed to flow through the bars. If you look over there, you can see the rakes are going down. And all the inorganic material gets hooked on the bars. Trash, rocks, bottles, anything that's inorganic. Um, one of our biggest hurdle we have in uh, wastewater treatment plant is baby wipes. Even though they say it's biodegradable, it's not. So when it comes in here, it, it's a nuisance to the wastewater operator. 
Wow, there's just like this massive container full of baby wipes. So this is the first step of the process where we try to eliminate all of this. After the screening process, it goes to the main sewage pump. The main sewage pump lifts the water from the lower elevation where the main sewer interceptor brings it in to a point where it flows via gravity to the rest of the process. The sewage gets lifted some 50 feet in the air. There's rows of pipes, each one about three feet thick in front of us, coursing with sewage water. If you look down, there are these murky channels flowing towards the pipes. Open sewage. Okay. What I happened? smell that. Yeah, well, Is that a healthy smell? That's a good smell. That's a great smell you smell here. That means that you're smelling raw sewage, but it's not stagnant. You get like a real sour smell, that tells you there's something stopped. If you look all the way down, you can see the water is running. That's the, the raw sewage coming in. How would you describe the smell that that's in this room? A very normal. After you work in a wastewater plant for so many years, it, it becomes normal. If I come to this room and don't smell this, I would be, I would be surprised and start investigating why. But this, you know, you use your, your senses to know if things are going bad, your, your sight, your smell. Smell is one of the best tools in this job. You walk by a tank and it don't smell good, you stop, you say something is wrong, and believe me, something is wrong. After a while being around the whole process, you know what's supposed to smell when and how. So after all the sewage gets lifted up, it starts flowing through the plant by gravity. It goes through another filtration process where more debris is taken out. Then it gets infused with air, and that helps bacteria start to grow that's going to clean the water. After that, it goes to the final settling tanks where the sludge settles to the bottom, and the, the clear liquid travels on beyond that point. So sludge, a.k.a. you and everyone's poo, and the water part ways at this point. Let's follow the sludge for one moment. We'll get back to the water. From there, it goes to the digester, where it's heated and constantly mixed. The digesters, now you may have seen these in pictures. They're pretty magnificent. These four humongous silver cylinders filled with New York City's poo. Wow, they're so beautiful. <laughs> How tall do you think they are? They're probably like 50, uh, 60 feet tall? No, I think they're 184 feet Oh, wow, I was way off. What? Yeah, you're way off. But, um, and these are like, they look like big, massive metal eggs, right? Yeah, well, that's what they refer to. I mean, the sludge, which is a byproduct of wastewater, it's pumped over here, it's mixed constantly, and it's heated. It's, it has a detention time of 15 days in each of the digester. We're walking down below the digesters, but we get in an elevator and go four stories up where you can get a bird's eye view of the entire plant. And you can see the Manhattan skyline in the distance. It's so beautiful up here. You have such an amazing view of the city. Well, it's, it's really one of the best view of the city. I'm looking to see if the boat is here. It has to be somewhere in the Newton Creek waterway because I just saw it leaving. Darn it, I missed it. The poop ship, I've heard it called. Yeah, we call it the love boat, right, Mercedes? Once, sometimes twice a day, a boat loaded with sludge leaves the plant and heads out the Newtown Creek to the East River. It goes to another treatment facility where it's condensed even more. Eventually, after that process is complete, that condensed sludge ends up in a landfill. So how many ships leave a day full of sludge? Uh, sometimes two, sometimes one. It depends on the sludge production. 
and because this whole process we do here is all biological, you find you have more biological activity when the weather is warmer. Really? People poop more when it's People warm outside? More, they go out, they do stuff, and then it's hot, you got more biological activity in the sludge, it process faster, you know, so... In the summer also, we got a lot more visitors to the city, they go to the bathroom more, so we open for business more, you know? It's, it's like, um, for example, you come to work in the morning at 7 o'clock. Historically, you could know what people do. For example, 7 o'clock you come in, and then you know at 8 o'clock people get up. They start going to the bathroom, they start flushing, so the flow would start going up. 8, 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock, it starts dropping off. And in the afternoon, 4, 5 o'clock, it does the same thing again. So you can actually s predict activity that people does by seeing their volume of wastewater coming in. So we finish up upstairs, take the elevator back down. We have to catch up with where the water is at this point. So the sludge and the water get separated, and the water continues through a filtration process. But we jump into Ali's car, and he drives us to the edge of the plant because it's this 53-acre property, so it would be quite a long walk. Along the way, we pass the settling tanks. These open tanks here are the final settling tanks from here. We pass a building where the water is doused with bleach. And finally, out at the edge of the property, there's a canal about 20 feet wide, gushing with clean water, headed west towards the East River. The sound of the cascading water is very, very, very relaxing. This canal heads back underground along India Street. It goes all the way under Greenpoint and out to the East River. So next time you're on India Avenue and Provost Avenue, know there's a whole world underneath your feet. You can actually see what leaves the plant has no resemblance to raw sewage at all. It looks like bath water. Yes, it does. The clarity in the water, how clear it is. What would you say this water smells like? Like progress. <laughs> this is where we say goodbye to the wastewater and hope to see it again in some other form. So now, how long does this whole process take from when I flush the toilet to the East River? About six hours. In six in hours? No, in six hours, if you flush something to get to us to leave, the, the liquid could go through the whole process, liquid. Do you ever wish people would like consider certain things about their waste that they just overlook all the time? That would make your life easier? Um, no, I hope they continue doing what they're doing because they do keep us in business, you know. <laughs> Just keep flushing. We're here for you, you know. Keep flushing. Keep flushing. We're here for you, you know. You know. thank the city's Department of Environmental Protection and Zanul Ali for taking us around the Newtown Creek Wastewater Treatment Facility. The music this episode comes from Silent Partner. I'm Gwen Hogan, and thanks so much for listening.